I have been probably constantly mentioning over the last number of weeks. Let me just get this out of the way so I don't touch it. Um, <clears throat> about God's plan of salvation that began before the foundation of the world. But one of the greatest illustrations of that salvation from the Old Testament is the tabernacle. How many people here have looked at the tabernacle, studied the tabernacle? I know Sunday school have. All right. I think you'll find it very interesting as we go through this. And I'm so thankful that we have the overhead because this one's a little bit hard to explain without having some kind of visual. So we'll use some visuals tonight. So the gospel message is revealed through the tabernacle. And I'm going to read a section from Hebrews chapter 10. Every priest stands at the altar of service, ministering daily, offering the same sacrifices over and over, which are never able to strip away sins that envelop and cover us. Whereas Christ, having offered the one sacrifice, the all-sufficient sacrifice of himself for sins for all time, sat down, signifying the completion of atonement for sin at the right hand of God, the position of honor, waiting from that time onward until his enemies are made a footstool of his feet. For by one offering he has perfected forever and completely cleansed those who are being sanctified, that is, being made holy, bringing each believer to spiritual completion and maturity. And the Holy Spirit also adds his testimony to us in confirmation of this. For after having said, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord, I will imprint my laws upon their heart, And their mind, I will inscribe them, producing an inward change. He then says, and their sins and their lawless acts, I will remember no more, no longer holding their sins against them. Now where there is absolute forgiveness and complete cancellation of the penalty of these things, there is no longer any offering to be made to atone for sin. Therefore, believers... Since we have boldness and full assurance to enter the holy place, the place where God dwells by means of the blood of Jesus, by his new and living way which he initiated and opened for us through the veil, as in the holy of holies, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great and wonderful high priest who rules over the house of God, let us approach God with a true heart, and sincere, a true and sincere heart, in qualified assurance of faith, having had our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us seize and hold tightly to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is reliable and trustworthy and faithful to his word. And let us consider thoughtfully how we may encourage one another to love and to do good deeds, not forsaking our meeting together as believers for worship and instruction, as is the habit of some, 
but encourage one another. And all the more faithfully as you see the day of Christ's return approaching. And it is approaching. What I would like to do, there's many ways of illustrating the tabernacle. But tonight what I'm going to do is I'm going to use the metals that were used in the construction of the tabernacle. Mainly gold, silver, King James would say brass or bronze, which is really brass or copper, and wood. And the meaning of each of those metals will be illustrated in the illustration of the tabernacle in the gospel message. Gold represents righteousness or the holiness of God. Silver represents redemption. That's easy for most to understand. Brass represents judgment. And if you'll remember the time when Israel began to complain about the manna and God sent the snakes and they were bitten by the snakes and they died. And God gave Moses the instructions to make a brazen serpent so that when they looked, they were saved. That's where judgment comes in when it regards brass. And wood in the tabernacle represents the humanity of Jesus. And we'll use that sort of as a basis for what we're talking about tonight. Hebrews 8 says, We have a high priest who sat down in the place of honor beside the throne of the majestic God in heaven. There he ministers in the heavenly tabernacle, the true place of worship that was built by the Lord and not by human hands. And since every priest is required to offer gifts and sacrifices, our high priest must make an offering too. If he were here on earth, he would not even be a priest. Let me stop there for a minute. The priest of the Old Testament had to be of the tribe of Levi. And Jesus was of the tribe of Judah. So he didn't qualify as a priest. So there had to be a change of the law in order to make it possible that Jesus could become a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek, who had neither beginning of end days nor end of life, so that our high priest lives forever. Take that one in, forever. We may not be here. He still is high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. So the law was changed in order that Jesus could become high priest. They serve in a system of worship that is only a copy. It's a shadow of the real one in heaven. For when Moses was getting ready to build the tabernacle, God gave him this warning. Be sure that you make everything according to the pattern I've showed you here on the mountain. That pattern, the blueprints for the tabernacle, were in heaven. God reminds Moses, make sure that you follow the blueprints when you make this tabernacle because it's already there in heaven. So we're going to look at this using the metals. You see, when God planned this tabernacle, His whole purpose was so that man could come back into his presence. 
Man would have free access into the presence of God. But when God looked down on the earth and saw sin, there was no possibility that man could ever enter his presence as a sinner. And God looked at himself as he was looking down and thinking of the building of this tabernacle. And God is holy. God is just. He is righteous. And he looked down, and from God's viewpoint, from heaven, he began with the holy place. Throughout my years, I had always looked at the tabernacle as a picture of the way in which the believer enters into the presence of God. But let's take it from God's viewpoint. And when God looked down, and he says, I'm a holy God, I'm a righteous God, and there's no possible way that sinful man can come into my presence. And he had a solution for it. The basis, the base, as you'll see in this illustration, is all silver. These flat pieces are all silver. The boards inside that you're seeing on the one side are made of wood and they're overlaid with gold. And they are standing in these silver sockets. The boards represent the humanity of Jesus. There he came as a man into this world to save sinners. But it was covered over with gold. He was divine. This was God becoming flesh in the world. And it's represented in the tabernacle. But as you look at the tabernacle, you will find that the base for all the boards and the posts that are at the entrance to the holy place are all silver. The outer court and all of the posts around the outer court are all anchored in bases of silver. Why did God design it this way? God designed it this way because he said, if man is to come into my presence I'm a holy God. A price must be paid. Silver must be used. It's the price that was necessary in order for us to move into his presence. And Jesus was that. He paid the price. And as you go through the, the uh, holy place, if you were to walk into that place, which is not very large, we won't go into the details, but if you walk in there and it's covered in a curtain over top and there's a veil that separates the holy place from the holy of holies where the Ark of the Covenant is, the thing that you'll be struck by if you visualize walking into the front entrance of this holy place is that as you look around and you see the walls of gold. And you see the furniture that's in there. There's a candlestick. There's an altar of incense. And there's a table of showbread. Everything is covered in gold. The Ark of the Covenant and the bottom box of the, of the Ark of the Covenant was made out of acacia wood, the humanity of Jesus, and overlaid with gold. His righteousness, his deity. And as you look inside that 
small building, you begin to realize that as you look in, you see the reflection of yourself. I'm talking about believers here. As you walk into that holy place in the throne room of God, as you look into the walls of that of gold, you see the reflection of yourself. And as you see the reflection of yourself, who are you looking at? Jesus. The very reflection of Christ will be seen. But God says, redemption has to be paid. His presence is one of holiness. And as you begin to walk through the very place where the Ark of the Covenant is here, as you can see, is inside the Holy of Holies. I've made it large so you can see it. This was where the presence of God rested with Israel. And in those days, Israel knew that God was there because there was a pillar of fire at night and there was a pillar of cloud during the daytime. And God's presence was over top of this tabernacle. And the whole of Israel could see that God was here. God is living among us. The very most important piece of furniture that God had in his mind as he's looking down to reach mankind is the Ark of the Covenant. On the top of that Ark of the Covenant with the cherubim on it is the mercy seat. God, looking down, says, man cannot ever possibly enter my presence if it isn't for my mercy. But something has to happen. And as we go through, we'll see what God's plan was. So you look at the Ark of the Covenant is representative of Jesus Christ himself. In front of the curtain was the altar of incense, made of wood again overlaid with gold, reminding us of the holiness of God. And God is looking there. And he's seeing that something has to happen. There's going to be a fire on there. There's going to be incense. It's going to be continually there so that God can breathe in the amazing incense that's on that altar and that incense itself is Jesus Christ. No greater pleasure can God have but as he smells that sweet incense of his son and he had a plan before the world began and he's putting his plan together and he's showing Israel what his plan was and then we have the candlestick or the menorah this was of pure gold. The world was in darkness. Sin had enveloped the world with darkness. And about a year ago plus, I remember a day, I don't, didn't write it down as to what day, but I phoned my sister afterwards. Her name is Nancy. I said, Nancy, I don't know what it is, but today I felt a dark, thick, thickness, darkness come over the land. 
and has come over the people. We're living in times where evil is increasing to the point you can feel it. And that dark heaviness has come over the people of God and over the world. But Jesus is the only answer. He's the light of the world. Then there was the table of showbread. Again, it was made of wood, the humanity of Jesus, overlaid with his deity. And on that was represented, they had 12 loaves of bread to represent each of the 12 tribes of Israel. And God knew that his people were going to need food. There was not the spiritual food that was necessary for their survival the way things stood. And he planned this before eternity, before time. And as you come to the entrance of this holy place, once again, you will be reminded at the base of those pillars is silver. Redemption and the price of redemption has to be paid if man can ever come back into God's presence. And those pillars are overlaid with gold, God is a holy God, and you cannot, we cannot come into the presence of God on our own. We don't qualify. And there were curtains that separated it, and only the priests could go into that holy place. And once a year, the high high priest went into the holy of holies once a year. As you come out, of that area into the outer court, the first thing that you're presented with is the laver. This was this large cauldron filled with water. And God's looking at it and he says, judgment has to fall on the people unless there's a cleansing. And he sent Jesus as the one to do the cleansing, to wash us clean from our sins. And there you have the laver. But then finally, in order to make it all possible, God says, I want you to make an altar of brass, of judgment. And on that altar, you are to offer sacrifices. And once a year, you are to have the Day of Atonement. And the offering that day that was of the greatest was the bird offering. They would take a bullock. They would flail it. They would put it on the altar, on the flames. Until it was absolutely consumed. The priests, this was where they got their food from. From the offerings. And they would take the choice pieces. But this offering... The burnt offering on this altar represents Jesus in his beauty before God. And it was consumed. Totally consumed. Because that sacrifice was for God. First of all, God came out to man. But God had to be satisfied. And he became a man in order that that his holiness could be satisfied And there it was at the brazen altar. And Israel was introduced to this. 
And God was first of all working out his plan in history. And his plan was, he is a holy God. Redemption must be played. Judgment must fall before man can come into his presence. What an awesome God. What a picture that possibly Israel had no idea that this was what God was doing. And after the sacrifice... The priest came. Jesus was not only the sacrifice, but he was the high priest. He offered himself up. He became the offering for sin. And Jesus, having completed God's plan of salvation on Calvary, became the author of our eternal salvation. And was named by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Jesus lives forever. Which means that his priesthood is unchangeable. Therefore he's able to save to the uttermost those that draw near to God through him. Seeing he ever lives to make intercession for them. God has come out in Jesus. And in the gospel we present Jesus as the answer to sin. His sacrifice fully satisfied the holiness of God and the righteousness of God. And he's giving us a choice. Are we going to accept the sacrifice that God has accepted? Or do we think we can go it alone? If we do, we will fall under the judgment of God. But now that God has planned that and Moses has built it and God gives Moses directions as to what to put in first and second and third when this is erected and the first thing he says is to bring in the Ark of the Covenant. That was God's main plan. There was a mercy seat so that all of us would have an opportunity to come to God and ask for mercy. But now that the work is done The believer's part now is that we now come into this tabernacle. There's a doorway into the outer court where those that had sinned or whatever had happened and they're bringing an offering, they would come there and the priest would meet them and they would bring their offering if it was for sin and if it was a goat, whatever it was that they brought. The priest would be there to receive it. And he would look at that animal over and over and over again to make sure it was absolutely perfect. And God looked down on his son and was absolutely perfect. There was no one else that had ever lived. There was no one else in the whole universe that could ever take that place as an offering for sin. And God looked at the Christ's offering for sin And it was absolutely perfect. And now here in Israel's time, they would bring their offering to the priest. The priest would check it out, make sure there was no blemish. Then he would hand the knife to the one bringing the offering. Here, you kill it. 
if we're going to approach the presence of God, a sacrifice had to be made. We're reminded every time we come to the presence of God, a sacrifice has been made, otherwise we could not enter. As sinners, there's no possible way. And the priest hands the knife. He says, here, you cut the throat. The blood was shed, but prior to that, the one bringing the sacrifice had to put his hands on the head of the offering. Whatever sins he had committed were transferred to that innocent animal. And that innocence and forgiveness was returned to the one giving the offering. How often do we really stop to consider what the offering of Jesus Christ really was? On our behalf, yes, we can have it in our minds. But in reality, the God of the universe loved us so much that He Himself came down. And He was known by the name of Jesus. And He has offered Himself for us so that we might be able to go into His presence. If you're here tonight and you have never decided to have Jesus as your Savior and receive Him, you cannot enter the presence of God. Sin must be dealt with first. And now, you bring your offering there. The animal is slain, and there's the brazen altar. Today, it's empty. There's no sacrifices on it anymore. It's been a once and for all sacrifice that was made on that altar. Jesus suffered, bled, died so that we might be set free. The altar, brazen altar is not there. The sacrifice has been made. And all I have to do is receive it. Have you received Christ's sacrifice for your sins? Do you know what it's like to actually be free from your bondage. That's what has been in the heart of God all along. And he has been pursuing some for their whole lifetime so far. And he's introduced them to this message. And people continue to re- reject the message of salvation. But now we as believers come. And we're reminded when we enter the presence of God. That the sacrifice has been made. And we could not and we cannot come into the presence of God without it. We may go through the ritual of coming before God in prayer, but we forget somehow that if it wasn't for the blood of Jesus, we have no way of coming into the presence of God. That's the value of the blood of Jesus. And it is eternal. It's in heaven It's in the very throne room of God. It's in the safest safe in the universe. The blood of Jesus. It's still as if it was shed two days ago. A thousand years with the Lord is as a day. Two days ago, Jesus suffered and died for you and me. The blood has never lost its power. 
And as we approach God, we are reminded of the fact, as we go through this world, we pick up and accumulate the things of this world. And as we approach God, we need to go through the washing of the water by the word to keep us clean. And that's what Jesus said the night that he was betrayed to the disciples and he washed their feet. And Peter says, no, wash me all over. He says, no, Peter, you've already been washed. It's just your feet. Our sins are forgiven by the blood of Jesus, but we need the constant washing of water by the word. And we're reminded of it when we enter the presence of God. If there's anything between us and God, we need to deal with that before we ever enter his presence. And that's the reason that the labor is there. So Hebrews says, let us draw near to God with a true heart in fullness of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and having our body washed with pure water. We as believers need that from day to day. When we come into the holy place and we come and we see the table of showbread on the right, we realize that without Christ as the bread of life, we have no life. We need sustenance in the Christian life. And the only answer to feed this Christian life is Jesus. If Jesus is not proclaimed, the believer is going to starve to death. We need Jesus. And he has provided everything that is necessary so that we might receive spiritual food. There were 12 loaves on there representing the 12 tribes. We have represented across Christendom how many different churches and denominations. There are believers in each of them. There are unbelievers in each of them. But God supplies the needs of every single one and every single one of those churches Then we might turn up our nose at some of them. But there are believers there and God is ministering to them. Christ so that they will have the food necessary to be able to operate in this world. And obviously, if we don't have Christ, we're going to walk in darkness. There are many, I believe today, and let me say they're true Christians, but they haven't got a clue of the point in time in history we're living in. And for all intents and purposes are walking in the darkness. Why? Because Christ is not central to their life. How much time do you spend in the presence of God? How much time do I spend in the presence of God? I've gone through years when it was very seldom. To my shame. And God has been gracious. Now I have more time. But now I'm beginning to realize the importance of it. Because without Christ, how do I face a world that we're going through today and which may get worse? He is the light of the world. He is our light. With him, 
That light that he shows us is just for the next step. And then he gives us more light for the next step. He doesn't show us the whole path in front of us. But if we can trust him, he will guide us step by step by step. Through difficult times, yes, he is our light. There's no one else we can turn to but Christ. And then you come before him in prayer. And you find out as you come to the altar of incense, again reminds us of Christ. And we come into the presence of God and we come to that altar of incense. And all that we have seen and gone through, we left our voices in praise to God only to find out that Jesus himself is leading our praises. Amazing. We left our hands in praise, but we didn't realize that Jesus himself is with us and taking those praises, those prayers before the Father continually, continually on our behalf. Every time we come, Jesus is totally involved when we come to God in prayer. Prayer is simply a communication between ourselves and God. Then, when we come now to the Holy of Holies, that curtain has been removed. It was torn from the top to the bottom when Jesus Christ died was crucified, and it made the way open into the Holy of Holies. There's nothing to prevent us from entering into the presence of God. If you have put your faith and trust in Christ, God welcomes you into the Holy of Holies. He welcomes you into his presence. And as you get there, you find out that right in front of you, you've seen the altar of incense You've praised God because of what he's done. And immediately you see the Ark of the Covenant. And you see the throne of grace. And we can have boldness now to enter that place because of the blood of Jesus Christ. What a God. The mercy seat is still there. God still sees the blood. And he says, welcome home. We must come by way of the cross before we come and approach a holy God. In order to do that, in order to really experience what it's like to come into the presence of God, we have to come by way of Calvary. And for the believer, we have to come to the point in our life where we know and we realize and we experience the fact that I have been crucified with Christ. I'll tell you something. As a litmus test, not for you alone, for me. If you want to know if you're crucified with Christ, Find out when you get into a difficult circumstance. Let me just use our 
last, this last week for us. You're having to take down a tent. How do you react? If our reaction is disappointment, anger, whatever the emotion might be, if that's the side of the cross that we're on, we're on the wrong side. Simply on the wrong side. That means that our flesh has been hurt and we have not gone through crucifixion with Christ. The biggest bane of the Christian life is when I, me, mine gets in the way. God wants to liberate us from that. He came as a man in order to liberate us from ourselves so that we may, might be able to enjoy a life pleasing to God and in fellowship with God and enjoyment in the fellowship of God. The placement of the furniture in the tabernacle is very interesting. You have a picture in the tabernacle in the way in which the furniture is laid out from the brazen altar, the laver, the candlestick, table of showbread, the altar of incense, the Ark of the Covenant is in exactly the shape of a cross. And Israel didn't realize it. And when their Messiah came, they refused him. But now, as a result of their unbelief, the way has been made open for us believers, us Gentiles, to come into the very presence of God. What does it look like when you go there? I wonder. Without faith it is impossible to please God, for he that draws near to God must believe that he is, and he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him out. As we come into the presence of God and we draw near to God, we believe that what Jesus has done is sure and finished, and we are saved. And God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him out. When was the last time when you read the scriptures that the Holy Spirit revealed something to you that took your breath away? That's what it's like when you enter into the very presence of God. So Hebrews 4 says, Having therefore a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast the confession. For we have not a high priest not able to sympathize with our infirmities, but tempted in all things in like manner, sin apart. Our high priest knows what it's like. He knows our failings. As I said this morning, God's grace. Knowing our failings, He provides His grace to us. He doesn't condemn us. He wants us to come into His presence, and here we are. Now that all of this has been accomplished by God, there's nothing that we did involved in this. Let us approach, therefore, with boldness to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace for help in time of need. So Paul writes in Romans 5, having 
been justified, that is made right with God by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace. Faith needs to be active as we come into the presence of God, knowing that God has his very best in mind for us. And we can come with full assurance of faith that God is on our side. So we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. In God's presence, the psalmist writes, is fullness of joy at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. God has offered us something that is beyond what the human mind can take in. He has offered to have us actually enter into his very throne room. God of the universe that is so holy. But we've all sinned. We've fallen short of the glory of God. So how can we come into his presence? Through faith in Christ. We can now reach God's standard of glory. And when we reach God's standard of glory that he has for us through belief in Christ, we have access into his presence. Not only that, but we are seated in the heavenlies in Christ. We're right in the throne room of God. What a privilege. I trust that our hearts will be affected tonight with the greatness of God and the greatness of his sacrifice so that we might come to know God as our God. When Jesus was raised, he said to Mary, go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my God, your God, my Father, and your Father. Imagine being able to call God Father as Jesus calls him Father. That's the privilege of every believer. If you haven't given your heart to Christ tonight, I pray that you won't delay.